0: Uh, which uh, you're probably more familiar with anyway. Um, all right, so uh, last time we, uh, we were going through, uh, basically, we're looking at some of the, the proteins that uh, cause intestinal disorders. Um, uh, we finished with Giardia. And that takes us to Entamoeba. You've looked at slides of this in CLAPS or in Arian lab. Uh, it was one of the ones that uh, somebody did that night where we had all the pathogenic proteins. Uh, Basically, uh, it's mostly found in the intestinal tract, although occasionally it will leave that area. It uh, causes uh, mostly in the colon, uh, so it's in the large intestines, not usually in small, and it causes ulcerations in the uh, lining, uh, typical symptoms, uh, can also have hemorrhaging. Uh, If it leaves, if it manages to break out of the digestive tract, it commonly goes to the liver, occasionally to the lungs. This is easily treated, um, but basically you, you uh, ingest the cysts from food that's not clean. The um, cysts uh, start to grow in the uh, intestinal tract, and then if, it, uh, if it's non-invasive, it just stays in the colon. If it becomes invasive, then it may move into other areas of the body. Uh, again, as I mentioned, this is uh, easily treated today. To so look at how the intestinal tract has been damaged. There's a, an amoeba in the intestinal tract. Let's see here. And uh, and so uh, this was the last of the chronic diarrhea ones. So we had four of them. We had looked at uh, some of the E. coli, the Cyclospora, Giardia. Okay. Uh, and then the last one is entamoeba histolytica. Again, it's treatable, uh, pretty easily treatable with the with drugs. Uh, it does not give you uh, any kind of immunity to it, though. Because, again, you don't get long-term immunity to protease, or, for that matter, uh, health which is what we're going to next. Okay. So we've looked at uh, viruses, we've looked at bacteria, looked at uh, protease. And now, oh, okay, we're gonna go one more virus, I forgot, i uh, not going to spent a lot of time on hepatitis. We had uh, a couple of uh, uh, presentations on that in lab, so you should be pretty familiar with hepatitis. Basically, it's an inflammatory disease of the liver, and you end up with damage to the liver over time. Uh, and uh, this can uh, cause jaundice, depends on how severe it is. Uh, that's gonna be different from person to person. Yes. Cirrhosis is damage that's caused to the liver, not necessarily from the virus. It can be caused by alcoholism, it can be caused by poor nutrition, uh, it can be caused by the virus. Okay, but cirrhosis is when parts of the liver become non-functional. They actually get hard, uh, and they no longer, no longer function. Okay, hepatitis A, um, and the, well, I only mentioned in your book for this uh, hepatitis A, B, and C, but of course there is a hep D, and I think there's an E now. Uh, so there are more uh, viruses uh, that have been found. Uh, this is a m- mild short term. The major thing here is, uh, is you get uh, symptoms are pretty minor. they get jaundice. Um, is not oncogenic, it does not cause cancer at all. Generally, people make complete recovery. Okay? Uh, So it's uh, not considered to be a major thing. However, uh, if you travel in certain parts of the world, uh, they will recommend uh, hepatitis A vaccine uh, because it's easily picked up from the water. So that's how you get it, it's ingested usually. Okay, hepatitis B, a little more serious, fever, chills, anorexia, discomfort, maybe a rash, some arthritis. Um, now, this can be much more serious, particularly if it goes uh, into uh, glomerulonephritis, and kidney damage, inflammation of the uh, arterial. Um, now, when this is, uh, this can also be uh, cured. It goes away, it's a virus, it eventually goes away. And normally, majority of uh, patients, the liver uh, restores itself, it regenerates. The liver is one of the few organs in us that actually regenerates uh, we don't we're not very good at that okay in general uh, it'd be nice if you could regenerate fingers and limbs so you know it didn't work for us uh, although some amphibians can do that uh, but the liver does the liver does uh, regenerate so, so in most people even if there's some damage to it uh, it regenerates now cirrhosis is is where you actually get uh this is where you get a chronic liver disease and you actually get death of, of parts of the liver Okay, and that's when they call it cirrhosis and that can be caused by a number of different things yeah. uh, because in this case that part of the liver turns hard and it still remains a part of the liver yeah. it may it might regenerate yes and then there's hepatitis c Uh, This is the most serious of them because, uh, first of all, there aren't a lot of many symptoms at the beginning. It's something you can have for quite a few years before you even have symptoms. Yeah, it can be tested for. Um, But it generally becomes chronic, and it it is, um, uh, there's very few people are actually cured of this, although. There are some new drugs on the market that they've been advertising pretty aggressively and uh that uh, purport to cure hepatitis C. Uh, I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, obviously, they passed all their clinical trials and apparently they, they have some effectiveness. That's, that's new. Up until those, most people with hepatitis C were never really cured. They just had a chronic disease. Uh, and it sometimes it could, uh, could cause liver cancer. So being able to cure it would be a really important uh change yes. So how would this of symptoms? Uh okay symptoms one uh, uh noticeable symptoms is gonna be much the same as the others you're gonna have jaundice, you're gonna have abdominal pain, uh swelling in the liver. Um it, uh, and that's usually the kinds of symptoms, but usually you've had it for quite a long time before those show up. Yes, it can, and, and often does. Now, with the newer drugs, if it can be cured, that may go way down. So these are the, the three hepatitis A. Notice they say A or E, uh, apparently they're, they're similar than B and C. There is a vaccine for A, there is a vaccine for B, there is no vaccine at the moment for C. The standard treatment, uh, if they were going to be treated, uh, was interferon, but many people have serious side effects from interferon treatment. (coughs) Wife's ex-husband has that, they had him on interferon, and after a while, Said that it was worse worse with the interferon than it was with the disease. They just stopped All right, now the last group here are the helmets. Things we don't see often in North America, although they certainly are present. uh, Mostly we don't see them. uh, First of all, we're not tropical, and so there's fewer of them. The other reason is sanitation in general. Is relatively decent, and uh, well in North America, Europe, places like that. So, so wor- parasitic worms are much less common. Now, uh, generally, uh, an increase in eosinophils is one uh, indication of a helminth infection. Besides, uh, some of them may cause some uh, stomach or intestinal issues. We'll through some of those. All of them will spend part of their life cycle, or maybe all of their life cycle, in the intestinal tract. Many of them do, they all spend only a short time there and then they migrate to other parts of the body. We'll, we'll look at a few of those. Okay, so, uh, these are not like viruses and bacteria. They don't, they're not sophisticated in terms of having all kinds of virulence factors, and endotoxins and exotoxins and all that, uh, but th- they are basically survivors. They're adapted to survive inside of, of the body, okay? They have specialized mouth parts for hanging on. They uh, do produce some enzymes. Uh, They have a cuticle covering them to protect them from the the host. And basically, their organ systems, as it says, uh, okay, if you're living in the intestinal tract, you don't need an intestinal system, a digestive system, because it's all being done for you right there. Uh, You do not need a uh, circulatory system, because these are generally flat, and so they can absorb all, all the oxygen they eat directly the host system. Uh, Basically what you need is a strong reproductive system because getting to the next host is always a problem for them. So basically uh, they're mostly reproductive. That's mostly what you find in them. Uh, Most of them will have a definitive host. Uh, There's a particular host that the adult goes to to reproduce. If they get into a different host often they are unable to reproduce there and it's a dead end for it. Okay, so how do you know you've got one? Well, one is xenophilia uh, x-ray acenophils. That's always an indication of uh, parasitic worms. There are some serological tests but probably more often and why they're lumped with microbes you find eggs and larvae in, in the feces or could be in other tissues. That's a microscopic examination that has to be done to see that and hence their microbes. At least medically they're lumped with the microbes. Uh, Rarely you may see adult also, but that's not normally the case. So basically, if you prevent for all of them, you have to minimize our contact with them during their life cycle. There are anti helminth drugs that uh, will, will kill them, and then usually, they're up there in the intestinal tract, they just just walked off and gotten rid of. Them. If they're in no other parts of the body, you may not get rid of them, they will simply die. Okay, these are some of the drugs uh, that are used uh, so uh, These okay, so a couple of them here three of them block metabolism some paralyze them so they can't stay they can't hang on um, And this one uh, inhibits atp formation uh, and so they uh, the, the worm dies but any eggs inside of it do not because they're not really metabolizing significantly at that point So uh, Intestinal distress is usually the symptoms: some diarrhea, some pain, minor pain usually, not major. Uh, and all of these you'll you'll find this type of uh, reaction too. Now, uh, Trichuris trichuriora, localized hemorrhaging involved, so that would cause probably a little bit of pain, maybe some blood in the feces. Uh, they uh, you can cause actual dysentery. Uh, this is what the organism looks like right here. Uh, it, it's a, essentially with that shape, it's a, a fluke, okay? So if, you know, basically parasitic worms are classified as roundworms, flatworms, or flukes, or tapeworms, really, okay? So we're looking for roundworms, that's a whole other group, then we have the tapeworms, and we have the flukes. The other group of flatworms is not parasitic. So there is a whole group of flatworms that are not parasitic, and I not even included here. Okay. Um, um, these are unique in that they lay their eggs outside of the body. They actually crawl out of the anal opening, lay their eggs, and they crawl back in. Uh, this causes uh, itching uh, and obviously can disrupt sleep and it's just not, basically uncomfortable. Okay. They're the only one that actually do that, that we, we have in this. Uh, Tania. Uh, Tania is a tapeworm. Uh, there are very few symptoms from tapeworms, especially if you have one tapeworm, you're probably not really going to notice. The only way you're going to know is by examining the feces for proglottids, which are the segments that break off that are full of eggs. Otherwise, occasionally it's a big abdominal pain, maybe a little nausea. That could be any number of things causing that. And usually people, unless it's chronic, don't really respond to that by going to <coughs> the doctor. Uh, so tania is a, is a tapeworm so what this here's an example of one down here uh, as you can see they get quite large um, this is the head end of it the business end well it depends on how you look at the business end um, this is uh what they use these hooks to latch into the intestinal wall and these little suckers and that's how they stay attached and then they grow from that on down through the intestine and that the, the segments get larger and larger and eventually break off and Symptoms are so No, out. they don't hatch until they come out. They don't hatch inside. So uh, so one worm, and in fact there's there's a uh, the urban legend of the uh, the great tea worm. Uh, diet that somebody would deliberately be infected with a tapeworm to lose weight. Now, I, I, you know, you hear that. I don't know if there's any verification of that that anybody has actually done. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, this, the only thing these worms are going to do, especially if they have just one of them, is they are going to be taking nutrients away. Beyond that, they're really not going to do anything. And so, um, now, if you have multiple ones, which could happen in some places, uh, then you may notice uh, that an individual was not getting sufficient nutrition and they would start losing weight, they would have problems that are related to poor nutrition. One tape one is probably not going to cause that. Uh, This is just another uh, tape one here. Again, you notice the same symptoms. In this case, a little bit of anemia. This is what the segments look like So these are basically uh, reproductive segments they have both eggs and they produce both eggs and sperm uh, they fertilize up and down on the segments because of course it's all the same organism uh, and then when they're mature these simply break off and they go out into the feces and the, whole, the plan is that some other animal is going to eat them okay uh, that's how they're spread okay uh, and since there's a lot of, of these worms around it is obviously a successful uh approach to life um, we find it pretty disgusting but then on the other hand we, we live in a culture with which values cleanliness. Okay? that's not the case everywhere uh, this is another common tapeworm here uh I'm a <coughs> again really mild symptoms um, and so all of these, uh, th- these, this is a group called whipworm, these are pinworms. This is the pork tapeworm, fish tapeworm. Uh, these are more often insects, and people do eat insects in parts of the world. Okay? Uh, we don't generally here, but they're common food in many parts of the world. Uh, and so uh, basically it's fecal-oral route. Uh, diagnosis is by, Egg or worm detection. Here today, piece of tape they get stuck in it and see them. Uh, again, uh, serology eggs and uh, serology eggs and so on. Uh, prevention is hygiene. Treatment for all of them. Now, this one, we're the humans in the only host. This is the most common worm in the United States. Uh, it's most it's more often children than, uh, than adults. Um, this one is a pork worm. Its intermediate host are pigs. So it goes back and forth between uh, all different hosts. This is fish tapeworm it's relatively large, and then these are are much more common in as infections. Yes. For the um, last day, the lexis nana. What if you cook the insects? Would get- that? Then we kill. And generally speaking, uh, most most cultures that eat uh, insects do cook they don't eat them. They don't, even, they don't just pop them out. There, you know? Although I can't guarantee that that never happens, but uh, they generally do. They either roast them or they uh, they fry them or you know, something like that. Uh, that's pretty common. Uh, there's a there are websites that are in, here in the U.S. that are are uh, dedicated to uh, insects as food. Uh, they make. Uh, they make a kind of flower, Crickets that they sell. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it replaces normal flour or exactly how you use it. Uh, it's not something I would care to, to do. Uh, but I see that advertised uh, a lot. Uh, and then you see occasionally small, small groups, small amounts. You know, grasshoppers or ants or things like that. Okay, now, um, some of these, uh, this next one, you have uh, intestinal distress, but these also migrate to other parts of the body. And so, as they migrate, you will have inflammatory reactions uh, as they migrate through the tissue. It can result in um, Cetaphila, of course, and also pneumonia if they're, they're going into the lungs. Now, uh, yes? Sorry. Around the body. He said he's not be lip, so he felt in his lips, so he's flipping the skin and pull it out. Yeah. Yep, they do that. Uh, there are a number of them that, will, that migrate. Now, this one is asterisk. This is a common one. Uh, these are found in humans, uh, they're more, uh, and they're also found in some other uh, mammals. Uh, eggs, and here, the eggs actually hatch in the intestine. The larvae go through the intestinal wall, enter the lymphatic system they move in, obviously that takes them to the heart, then they move through the blood into the lungs, and migrate up the respiratory tree, uh, and then ultimately you swallow them, and then they reach adulthood again in the intestinal tract. Um, they also can invade the liver and the gallbladder. Um, these can be pretty significant, uh, and they get fairly large, okay? Uh, Asterisked, uh from cows gets large enough that you can buy them as specimens in that set. Okay. Think about this long. They're round ones They'll get about that long. Pretty good size. Are they thin still, or No, they're, they're round. They're round no Well, they hmm. that they also are not still they're not thin. They're, they're perfectly round. The uh, so these, again, uh, uh, these are, are, are common. Uh, are these two here, Nicator and uh, Anselostoma, these actually hatch outside the body. They penetrate the skin, usually through the feet. Uh, they are obviously more common in children because children are more likely to be running around with no shoes on and you know, barefoot. They're also more common in the south than they are in the north. Up north people don't generally run around in barefoot a lot. Uh, they burrow into the skin. They get in circulation lungs, they go up to the throat, you end up swallowing them to the small intestine and there is where they anchor in the intestine and they, they feed on blood. Uh, so, uh, so, there are symptoms as they move through the body, there will be certain uh, symptoms from that. This is what the, the two look like. You can see the hooks that they use to hang on and to uh, actually uh, get into the tissue and get the blood. uh,
1: strong
0: ladies, uh this uh, it doesn't have to be inside the body. Uh, larvae penetrate the skin, they get into the circulation, swallowed. In into the small intestine. You see a pattern here, okay, um, as to how they get in there. They lay their eggs, eggs have to be the larvae in the colon. Uh, this is what the, they look like. Uh, and these are the ones that you can see moving around. Okay, so you can see ones moving right through here, You uh, when they're near the surface of the skin. Okay. So these have the difference here with this, with this that we've talked about is that they migrate and they cause symptoms as they migrate. The others, the first group we looked at were, were strictly intestinal, or, or, intestinal tract. These have other symptoms. Uh, you'll notice that they're all in the soil. That's where you get them from. Uh, then we get into some uh, flukes. Uh, these are our liver flukes, okay, uh, this, is, uh, Chinese liver fluke. this is a Chinese uh, liver fluke, all of these are, are flukes, uh, they complete their, both of these are Chinese liver flukes, uh, they start off in snails, they move into fish, they get when you uh, eat freshwater fish that are not sufficiently cooked, that's how you get them. Uh, they go into the bile duct, they uh, eggs in the intestinal tract, eggs are passed out into the water. The eggs uh, get into snails and then they, they go through part of their life cycle there. They release a stage that then goes and finds a fish, invades the fish, and then humans eat the fish and you know, the cycle continues. Uh, again, if you would guess in a life cycle like this, life is not certain for these guys. Okay? And they have to produce a lot of eggs because most of them are never going to be successful. Lots and lots of eggs in order to be, be successful. So you get a thickening of the, of the bile duct, uh, and a granuloma would be a, uh, um, an increase. Uh, basically a, a benign tumor for tissue growth in the liver. Uh, fasciola is another one. This is uh, common in sheep cattle. Other mammals, uh, symptoms vomiting, diarrhea. So this one would be pretty obvious. Um, this is what it looks like. Most of what you're seeing here is reproductive system. Okay, because they have no need again for digest- for digestive system or circulatory system, and uh, not much of a nervous system. <coughs> Mostly reproductive. Uh, so this is what they look like. Uh, this is one in a human liver. This is a deer liver from an infected deer. You can see there are lots of these in the, in the deer. Uh, and deer around here are commonly infected with, with you know. wild animals. The majority of wild animals have parasites. They stay uh, in the liver, right? Uh, these tend to stay there. Yes. Yeah. There are others that do not, okay. but these do. Uh, and, and so, wild animals. Uh, you know like, Again, one of the things. Uh, ecologists do is they will trap wild animals and examine them for, for uh parasite parasite loads you know and that can be ectoparasites you know uh, you know fleets, ticks uh it can be endoparasites worms and a variety of things so these are liver and intestinal these, these two curves. Then there's uh, ones that have muscle and neurological symptoms. Trichinosis is the one that we may, this is why you cook uh, pork to within an inch of its turning into leather. Uh, at least that's why that's always been the advice. Um, basically, uh, if you eat undercooked pork, there's a cyst. Uh, it's digested in the stomach, and then the larva is liberated, and then and it goes about its visit. It goes into the intestinal mucosa, they uh, enter the lymphatic channels. They end up in, insisted in skeletal muscle because the the point the plan here for these worms is you get into a new host, you gradually get into the muscle, you insist there and you wait for something to come along and eat that, that muscle until you get into a new host. Okay, so humans tend to be pretty dead end for them because there are not a lot of things out there eating us. Uh, but certainly other animals, uh, you know, they, that does happen. Uh, Symptoms usually are pretty unnoticeable, <coughs> but if you have a lot of the larvae, they can be quite serious. You get uh, fever, diarrhea, sweating, and you can get muscle and joint pain for the if you get a lot of them assisting in a muscle uh, You can uh, take drugs which kill them, but of course there's still the remains of them are still going to be in the muscle uh, So this is what the worm looks like. This is what the cysts look like in muscle and these are microscopic so if you're eating if you were eating pork, in this particular case, you would never see them. You'd never even know you ate them because they're microscopic. Okay. So, off basically prevention is the meat, okay? And that's why nobody eats, uh, well, uh, rare pork, uh, generally speaking. Now, the reality is that today, hogs are, the feed for hogs is very carefully uh, watched and it probably is not unless they're just turning hogs out into a field somewhere and letting them just wander around and if they're somewhere where they're raising hogs their feet they're, they're not going to probably get these ones with their feet so, uh, but still we, we generally tend to report because of that and that would be true anywhere in the world not just certainly not just here uh, Schistosomosis or somiasis excuse me, uh, you get, it enters the body, you get some itchiness, you get fever chills. This can lead to uh, liver and, uh, and, and splinting uh, problems, liver disease and splinting disease. Uh, so these uh, basically, they come out of us either in the urine or in the feces, or you have <coughs> off a little myricidium. It goes to a snail, burrows into the snail, um, multiplies into a larger one called sicaria. Thousands of these go into the water, they attach the human skin, they penetrate into the hair follicles, into the blood, and the lymph, and so on and so okay. uh, These are quite serious parasites in other parts of the world. Uh, so, this is a little. Now, what, one of the things that is interesting in these this is a female, the large one. You notice there's a groove along the female, and this is a male. Once they find each other, the male lies right in that groove, and they stay together for forever, forever after that. Okay, so uh, they, they manage to avoid host defenses pretty well and uh, cause uh, damage to the look And that's some uh, representative helmets. Certainly, not every single one that exists. All right, and that takes us to the last chapter, which is a genital urinary system. Again, not going to go over the system. You all know what the system is made up of. Defensively, we flush the system with urine regularly. It's one of the reasons for drinking lots of water. We flush that often. Uh, the epithelial cells come off just like they do in the mouth and in the intestines and on your skin. Uh, urine is acidic, which tends to keep some organisms down. There's some antibacterial proteins in here. Uh, obviously, uh, i are not going to go through the whole uh, reproductive. Now, normal biota. The outer regions of the urethra always harbors, uh, always has some, bio, some biota in it. Normally, streptococci, staphylococci, lactobacilli. I mean, these are routine for everybody, males and females, both. Um, basically, uh, the, uh, so that's what you would find in, in males and in females. You always get large amounts of lactobacilli, which is what keeps the lining of, or keeps the, the uh, vagina acidic. Uh, and keeps the yeast, which also is found there, from growing very well. So anything that alters the population of the lactobacilli, which then changes the pH, gives the yeast an opportunity to grow, and they will take advantage of that. Okay. Now, so the most common thing are, are urinary tract infections. Okay, usually they say non-specific urinary tract infections. Uh, urine is an excellent growth medium. Now, the reality is the urine in the bladder is sterile. But once it passes through the down the urethra it will pick up organisms and if you get an infection up into that area into the bladder the urine can then be a growth medium for for bacteria Uh, and if it gets uh, prolonged infection can actually move up uh, through the ureters to the kidney itself when you get kidney infection those are quite obvious Uh, kidney infections are very painful uh, usually, and they're often, they may not be on both sides, they may be on only one side. Uh, people would be put on antibiotics, and I'm not uncommonly hospitalized for, for, uh, for kidney infections. Uh, if it's only in the urethra, which is the most common type, we call that urethritis. Um, and so, uh, urinary tract infections, uh, basically, this is what, what, what happens in them. Uh helps the action so on Uh, okay so let's take a look at a little bit more about these Uh, they reduce the urine flow uh, they or if you have reduced urine flow uh, they they can get into the bladder when it gets into the bladder it's called uh, cystitis so it's urethritis in the urethra it's called cystitis when it gets into the bladder when it gets into the kidneys it's pyelonephritis. different names for different places Uh, cystitis uh, has, has pain, um, feel like you've got, got to urinate all the time, uh, usually pain involved in urination. The urine turns cloudy, maybe slightly orange, some uh, hemoglobin in it from, from blood. Uh, and then if you get back pain, lower back pain along with that, then that would indicate that the kidneys are now involved. You <coughs> uh, really can't see much on this. Uh, this is a, an ultrasound of the, of the bladder, but you can kind of see on this side of it over here. This is a bacterial infection on, on, on the inside of the bladder there. Uh, so what causes these? Well E. coli. E. coli is opportunistic and uh, also it's it's close by. okay uh, and so infection into the urinary tract is, is certainly a possibility. Uh, there's a, also a staphylococcus coxine. And then something called Proteus mirabilis. This is a really strange organism. Uh, it uh, produces a urease enzyme, which can actually facilitate the, fu- the formation of kidney stones. Uh, basically hygiene practices are very, you'll notice know, these are the, like, uh, all of these are um, uh, treated with uh, antibiotics. Um, this one is a, a problem because it may cause kidney stones. And kidney stones i don't know if anybody has had one but uh, i know my wife did about two years ago and she was you know, virtually incapacity okay. now once it passes it's kind of like oh okay i'm okay now you know, that's how she was you know once it passes through and it's not so bad <laughs> well, that's going to depend on the size of the kidney stone uh, there is no specific time and the, the, the case that I'm most familiar with it was about three and a half hours for it. And that was to get through the research. Okay, that was, uh, it's really going to depend on the size. If they're large enough, they may actually even water the uh, And when that happens, you have a couple of options. There's surgeries, uh, certainly, also an option. Probably not a great option, but it was an option. Or I do know a couple of people, and one of our colleagues, they, he had that happen. They have an ultrasound machine uh, that pulses uh, in with a sound level through the skin. I'm used lay there, and they put it up against the back, and it, you get this globbing from it. And over time, what it causes is the kidney stone to begin to shatter and break up. Uh, he said it is not comfortable <laughs> at all, but it be surgery, and surgery is better than pain itself. But that's one of the other Uh, if it blocks your urethra, something has to be done quickly. Yes. Because uh, that means the urine can't get out of the kidney. And the kidney doesn't, you know, is still producing urine, and then starts to back up. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, Leptospirosis is a, is a uh, zoonotic disease. Uh, generally, it uh, can affect, obviously, kidneys, liver, brain, eyes even. Um, Early phase, high fever, chills, headache, second phase, fever goes down, you start to get it into the kidney, you get hepatic disease, jaundice, and neurological disturbances uh, in the individual. This is what it looks like, it's basically a little spirochete. It's picked up from contaminated soil or water, uh, and there's an agglutination test for it. There is a vaccine available, but not generally used because it's not needed for very many. And now we're back to doxycycline as a typical treatment for it. Schistosomiasis can also be urinary. Remember, we talked about it in intestinal, can also be urinary. Uh, it gets into the blood vessels of the bladder. Uh, you get a lot of itching. Uh, urinary tract symptoms then occur later. After it's been there for a while, you start to get some blood in the urine. The bladder can even be obstructed, and then you obviously have other. Uh, this is what the schistosomes look like. Um, okay, diagnosis is identification of eggs in the urine. That's how you would know. And then there's a, there's a drug. Uh, now, we're also going to look at uh, sexually transmitted diseases, okay, STDs. Um, there are quite a few of uh, the reproductive tract organisms that, that is how they're transmitted. From and we're going to look at three basic types, discharge diseases, ulcer diseases, and warts. Okay, so first one is vaginitis or vaginosis. It's an inflammation of the lining of the vagina. There's itching, sometimes a burning sensation, sometimes a discharge, uh, depends on what's causing it, okay, what what exactly is going to occur. So if, for instance, it's a candida, uh, they're always there in low numbers, but given the opportunity will grow very rapidly, you get a white discharge. I don't you know, and I know that uh, yeast infections are, well, I won't say common, but they're not uncommon. Uh, uh, some people have them much more often than others. Do. Uh, anything that disturbs the normal biota of the will, even just taking antibiotics, that's a um, It's what it looks like it's a fungus. It's a fungus. Oh, it's yeast, so it's a type of fungus. Uh, there's gardnerella. <coughs> um this one's called a vaginosis simply because there's no actual inflammation uh discharge is is fishy uh in in odor uh itches and this is what the organism looks like it's kind of the white milky uh, discharge uh trichomonas um is often asymptomatic about 50 percent uh those that have symptoms are more often women than men if uh, so you get itching, vulva, and uh, burning, uh, yellow-green discharge, most men, as it says, are are asymptomatic. Uh, although occasionally can have pain on urination or even uh, prostate uh, can be relatively tender. Uh, this is what the organism looks like. It's a flagellated protease, and this is some of the discharge. But this is what it. So all of these are, di- are referred to as a discharge disease because they cause one or another type of discharge. Okay, Candida, white, uh, gardnerella, fishy smell, vaginal, trichomonas is, is kind of a all, all have their drugs for all of them. and I don't think these are that uncommon. Now, in males you can get uh, prostatitis, which is basically an inflammation of the prostate. Uh, Get pain in the lower back. Uh, <coughs> have to urinate frequently because the prostate prevents all the urine from getting out of the bladder, and therefore, it's often always want to urinate. And we can have blood in the urine if it's okay. uh, Positive are usually GI tract biota. Uh, these are not overly common, uh, but uh, basically, uh, they would do a, uh, a prostate exam, which uh, at, a, at some point in your life all men have to go through on a regular basis. Uh, and the prostate lies right at, right next to the wall of the uh, rectum. So the typical examination is finger up into the rectum and then palpating the, the, uh, the prostate, uh, you can tell if it's enlarging, you can tell if it has bumps on it, which are not good. Uh, there's all of Uniform surfaces. There's you know, a lot of things you to check. That uh, in this particular case, uh, antibiotics and some for some people, muscle relaxers are helpful. Uh, you gotta really want a muscle relaxer. Uh, they're nasty. I, I had one time they gave me a muscle relaxer. I took one pill and I threw the rest away. I, I felt so so much worse on that. I guess depending on what you have, they may be worth it. But I did not like it. Uh, Discharge diseases, uh, okay, others here fluid discharge. Uh, we also have uh, uh, tryptophan, okay, so we've listed these. All of these are major uh, uh, general urinary tract infections. Uh, gonorrhea. Uh, in male, it's a urination urination, a yellow discharge pretty easy to, to notice, men, men usually know that they have it, they usually get treated for it, um, and, and that takes care of it. it it's easily cured with antibiotics. Uh, for women, um, it is uh, off, more often not easily uh, detected right away, um, and then what it will do is, you uh, if the urethra is involved, it's usually pretty obvious, but if it moves up into the cervix, into the upper uh, areas, into the, uh, the, the and on up, then you get into what's called pelvic inflammatory disease. And that is very serious. Uh, that can cause sterility. It gets up into the uh, fallopian tubules. There are the really tiny openings in the fallopian tubules where the egg can come down. You get a little bit of scarring in one of those, the eggs never really get through. And that's one of the ways that they cause, cause sterility. Uh, and so here's an inflamed fallopian tube. Uh, sometimes the fallopian tube in the uh, ovary. Uh, get they may have adhesions, they get stuck together, uh, this would be very painful when that occurs. And the uterus is inflamed as well, this side. Uh, this side is, is relatively normal. Even, the ovaries are inflamed on this side. That's what they mean when they talk about uh, the uh, pelvic inflammatory disease. This is the kind of thing that they're referring to. Um, gonorrhea. If the mother has it when the child is born, it can cause uh, damage to the eyes of the newborn, which is one of the reasons that newborns are always treated, uh, their eyes with either an antibiotic or I think they're still using silver nitrate too. That works as well. Uh, of course, generally speaking, if you have the child in the hospital, they're going to know if you had gonorrhea or not. Uh, but not everybody has their children in the hospital. Uh, okay, so that's gonorrhea there, you can see it among the uh, other human cells. Uh, The occurrence of syphilis, we'll talk about that a little more. We had a a presentation on it in in lab. Has really gone down, both syphilis and and gonorrhea. But now they seem to, and this only goes through 2004, but they have generally leveled off. And and it's not going down any farther. Uh, There was a real push, uh, particularly for gonorrhea to, to uh, treat it, uh, and to report it, and to track all the partners of anybody who reported it. I mean, that's it's the only way to stop it, okay? uh, Syphilis has never been nearly as common in the U.S. Okay, chlamydia. Uh, this is the most commonly reported infectious disease in the United States. A majority of people are asymptomatic, uh, in males, inflammation, uh, it's kind of like gonorrhea. Males are more likely to feel the symptoms. Uh, symptoms in females are often, uh, like I said, uh, asymptomatic, may have a discharge, may lead to pelvic inflammatory disease. Uh, but often, like I said, it says in here, many of the uh, cases are asymptomatic. And so, if you're asymptomatic, uh, you're passing it on to other people, even though. Now, you, you, you might not want to be doing that and you might do something about it, it but if you don't know, then you know, that's what's happening. Um, some of them can get into the lymphatic tissue. Uh, and the granuloma is basically a, uh, an enlarged uh, lymphatic tissue, uh, can cause headache, fever, uh, and, of course, the babies born mothers with infections can have eye infections and even pneumonia. Chlamydia is one of the other possible causes of pneumonia in, in some cases. Uh, and this is uh, some of the tissue, you can see all the little bacteria in here. Uh, chlamydia is uh, mostly an intracellular infection. Chlamydia, I believe, is the one that does not make ATP well on its own. So it gets inside of other cells and steals there. Okay, so these are uh, some of the, the two most common. So these have, uh, besides just the vaginitis, these have uh, genital discharges as well. Lead to pelvic inflammatory disease, genital ulcers. Okay, here we're talking about syphilis, chancroid, uh, and genital herpes. Um, these also increase the chances of HIV infection. Syphilis: uh, three stages, three very distinct clinical stages in syphilis, um, and it, it can be latent for periods of time in between those. Uh, it's only transmissible during the first and secondary stages. It is no longer transmissible in the third stage. Uh, okay, primary, you get a a on, on usually on the side of entry. This would be either on the penis or on the females, it would be inside the vagina. It is painless. Okay? And so uh, and it goes away. Uh, It fills up with some spirochetes. Within three weeks, it goes away. If it's internal, uh, a a woman might not even know it's there, okay? Uh, Males usually can see it, but if they wait and don't do something about it and it goes away, they say, oh, okay, I'm I'm all right. Well, you're not all right, but uh, be careful with that. Then about anywhere, usually it's the longer time, about six months after that heals, it, the organism is, is a spirochete. It moves through the body and it starts to invade other systems and People will have fever headache sometimes a rash not always sometimes air loss um, The lesions that occur will have spirochetes in them, but they all disappear spontaneously uh, They have complications in uh, bones, liver eyes and into the brain Still treatable at this stage Penicillin. penicillin wipes this stuff out Uh, that's what the rash might look like now when you get into the later stages there's going to be a latent period between secondary and tertiary which could be varying lengths it says here up to 20 years Uh, today tertiary syphilis is almost unknown in the united states because it's when people know they have it is treated with antibiotics it takes a long time to get to that stage. Most people have been treated, and so it's really very rare. However, at this point, you start to get uh, gomas. Uh, the, these are little sh- uh, swellings, tissues in the liver, the skin, the cartilage, uh, and into the brain. Okay, it was uh, syphilis. Uh, this is what they look like. Uh, this is what it looks like an arm or a leg. Uh, and uh, when it gets into the brain, people who have, you know, it used to be that syphilis was one of those incurable diseases and people would just eventually degenerate and they would die, and uh, this is what happened. Uh, 1800s, uh, they started treating it with an arsenic type of treatment, which was somewhat effective. Obviously it had side effects, arsenic is never good to be taking, but it, but it did cure people with syphilis. Um, in, in some cases, not in every case, and then of course, once antibiotics became available, treating it became just as simple. It, it can't be passed to an infant, if the mother has it, and it's referred to as congenital. How effective, what kind of effects they'll be will depend on what stage the fetus is in when it we're, we're in the developmental pattern. Uh, sometimes it can cause this. This is how uh, the teeth can be malformed. Uh, it can, you, know, you can have the opening of the palate. This is what uh, the organism looks like it's a spiral teeth. This is a more typical uh, microscope view. Okay, so that's syphilis. Chancroid has no system wide effects. You get a little soft uh, papule. Uh, in men, it's painful. Most women say they never even noticed it uh, when they were later diagnosed. Lymph nodes can become swollen, the lymph nodes, those being those in the, nose and the groin. Uh, <coughs> and they get swollen and tender. And that's basically what happens with that. And then, of course, there's general herpes. So we, we had uh talk about herpes in class. Uh, and so basically, it's a herpes simplex virus. It just happens to be genital rather than oral. I mean, it's just the location. Otherwise, the basic uh, pattern of it is much the same. You get the blistering uh, vesicles, they do heal, but you don't get rid of but you know, They migrate up the motor neurons and can't come back later. Very rarely meningitis, uh, and I think we talked about that with uh, other types of herpes. Um may have recurrent episodes, generally not very severe, um, they can, uh they will pass to the fetus, and that can be quite severe. This is a child born uh, with a congenital uh, purpose. And this is what uh, oral herpes look like, okay, a you know, little fluid-filled uh, fill blisters. Um, organism inside uh, and then they migrate up the motor nerves into the ganglion. now for uh, genital herpes they go into the sacral ganglia and they basically hide out there okay uh, and then at a later time they can migrate back down to the motor neurons and, and have another outbreak so syphilis uh, chancroid and herpes genital ulcer diseases because all of them start off with an ulceration of some kind. And then we have warts. Okay, uh, HPV everybody's heard about that more than they wanted to know about in the past few years. Uh, it's a uh, human papillomavirus it's not uncommon in fact it's quite common. Uh, it's what causes uh, genital warts it causes warts other places too in the body it's a similar Organism, they can cause warts and people get on their knuckles or on their hands. Or up. I mean, it's uh, the the warts are generally uh, benign. Uh, the place that's a problem is particularly the cervical, the cervix you can develop cervical cancer. And the whole point of the routine Pap smears is to check the cells on the cervix and see if any of them are either precancers or already cancers. That's what that's the point. Of um, you can have it and never actually have it. Warts. Uh, Molluscum contagiosum is another virus. It's in the pox family, uh, and so you get skin lesions from this, uh, and you can get some wart-like growths from it. Uh, this is a genital uh, warts that can look like. Uh, they're not very pleasant. Uh, they're not going to kill you, but they're certainly not, not pleasant. Now, uh, treatment, uh, you can remove them if... Uh, the virus is not treatable. It's a virus. It's like any other virus. There's nothing you can really do. The warts can be removed. Does not mean they won't grow back, but they can be removed. Particularly if they're you know, just a few of you, just them. Really uh, Group B streptococcal disease uh, can cause uh, neo, a neonatal disease. Uh, Generally, the women who have this are asymptomatic for this. Uh, when they get pregnant, about half the infants are colonized by this during the, the, the birth canal, and some of those infants will have life-threatening infections from it. And So most of the time now, if you're, if you're in the hospital, they're going to be checking you for group B uh, streptoccus, and you should be getting an antibiotic ahead of time if, in fact, you have them to, to prevent this. Again, yeah, penicillin or ampicillin. This is the, this is a low-level antibiotic, so it's effective. And that's the genital urinary system. Huh. We're done early. Um, any questions about? It? I, I know it's a lot of a lot of material. Uh, make up your uh, your note card. Uh, you, what you want to do is for for these is look at the name of the disease, the name of the organism. And basically, what, what it does is very basic. What's something that, you know? What is something about it that's unique? Like for instance, with the syphilis, the the three distinct stages that's unique to syphilis. There's nothing else we talk about that does that. Okay. Uh, and so, and, and I, on the exam, I'm not going to get down in the weeds on this on some of these disorders. They're going to be for the most part going to be the major organisms that in many cases you've heard of. But this is important for you to have some, a little bit of background in. You're gonna get a lot more of this if you're going into nursing, you're gonna get more of this than you ever wanted to know in nursing, because that's what it's about. Um, one of the things that I think that's really important for nurses, um, nurses are the ones that patients will talk to. And it's important that you understand what they're telling you. Often the doctor will not have time Patient, may, you know, some doctors just don't listen. Don't listen well, anyway. Uh, so the patient's going to talk to the nurse, and it's important that you know what they're telling you and you know, what they're significant. About. So the more you can learn about this stuff, the better off, the better off you're going to um, be. How many are planning to uh, take the nursing program here? Anybody? Okay, a couple. How Where's everybody else going? Reside anyone you okay so what's everybody else planning to do if they're not going into nursing what yeah oh pa okay yeah yeah biology yeah. i mean there's a lot of other careers out there other than we tend to see a lot of nurse, pre-nursing students in this class um, usually it's unusual to have so many students who are not pre uh, nursing is a tough tough to get into tough to get through and there are always jobs for nurses. A large part of that is because people burn out. A lot of them. Five, six, seven years. It's, uh, uh, there, and that doesn't mean you know, Some people who are nurses for 20, 25 years are quite happy to All right, well, I guess we'll stop now. You've have, uh, we'll meet in the lab right at seven. We'll do the two uh, presentations, uh, and then we'll get on to the uh, exam. This gives you a little bit of time to, to kind of get your stuff organized for the exam. So you have everything. And uh, see you then.